0: Welcome to the Dr. Coffee Podcast, your weekly blend of motivation, encouragement, education and insight into all things medicine for junior doctors and medical students in South Africa. In this week's Coffee with Consultants feature, I interviewed Dr. Tracy Ferreira, representing the popularly requested speciality of anesthesiology. Dr. Ferreira is a fairly recently qualified anesthesiologist currently working in private practice in a number of locations and with a variety of surgeons. She's also a mom of two gorgeous small kids and has great advice for our women in medicine about how to pursue dual dreams of specializing and motherhood. This episode was recorded over Zoom and is also available as a video episode on YouTube. So even if you prefer to listen to the audio format of this podcast like I do, please take a minute to head over to YouTube, find the Dr. Coffee podcast channel, subscribe and give a like to this video. I know it's a little bit of work on your part. However, it's simply the best way to support the growth of the podcast and let the algorithm know that this is something junior doctors want to hear. Thank you so much for your support before we get into this week's interview the dr coffee podcast has officially hit the milestone of one years old and as promised last week we're proud to announce the new long-term partners of the show which is Indemnimed, a new health practitioners insurance offering from the incredible people at money and medicine If you've heard of money and medicine before you probably already know that they offer simplified and unbiased financial resources for young medical professionals they're heavily invested into the success of our future and junior doctors and offer loads of free resources such as online financial literacy courses advice via their podcast and youtube channel and free reviews of your existing financial plan I cannot recommend them highly enough, so I'm delighted and humbled by their support of this podcast. If you're interested in finding out more about IndemniMed and Money & Medicine, you can find them quite easily at moneyandmedicine.co.za and please tell them Dr. Coffee sent you. Back to this week's interview, and without any further ado, here is Dr. Tracy Ferreira. Welcome to the Dr. Coffee podcast, Dr. Tracy Ferreira
1: hi simon thanks so much for having me it's such a privilege to be able to represent my speciality
0: we're so glad that you accepted the invitation i'm sure we're going to learn a lot from you today so right off the bat when we start our podcast conversations with our guests we'd like to ask you about your junior doctor years so where you did medical school and then where you did internship in ComServe. tell us about your your experience
1: so i am a vitsi i did my undergrad at vits medical school i graduated in 2013 then completed my two years of internship at Chris-Honey Baragwana, Paradise, and um, did my community service at Tambo Memorial Hospital in Boxburg and Joburg. Did a full year of anesthesia um, oh, wow. in my community service year, so I was very privileged to be able to stay in that department for the entire year. So that was my my junior doctor years.
0: Awesome. So it sounds like having been a Viti, you had been exposed to Barra and you knew that Barra was where you wanted to go for internship.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it was my first choice. Um, I was still in the era of, they used to say, if there was a B anywhere on your internship application form, you were getting sent to Barra. There was ample space. (laughs) Not many people actually wanted to go there. Um, So there wasn't as much competition for it back then. But it was definitely my first choice. And I'm really so glad that I did. I just learned so much and such a great experience.
0: Awesome. and. Going into community service, did you already know kind of the trajectory you wanted to take? Did you know you wanted to go into anesthetics?
1: So not really. Um, I had, during internship, I actually always thought I would do cardiology. And I think uh, my internal medicine rotation decided that I was not willing to go through four years of internal med and TB wards to get to cardiology. Um, So I still kind of enjoyed the critical care aspect. I knew that I, I liked all things critical care. I had a really strong interest in emergency medicine, um, but also had had a little bit of an interest in anesthetics, wanted to find out more. When, when the hospital contacted me, when Tambo contacted me and said, which department would you prefer? I actually said emergency medicine. And Tambo is quite well known for the ED. I think they have registrars rotating through their... So I was quite excited about that, and then surprise, surprise, you've got anaesthetics for the whole year. Um, but in retrospect, that was exactly what it was meant to be. I really found a love for anaesthesia. Um, it it still ticked all the boxes in terms of having a lot of the critical care aspects, um, physiology, which I absolutely love. So yeah, and every time I walked into the ED at Tambo, I would kind of get this feeling like, oh, I I don't really want to be here. Um, for the rest of my life. So I think it was it was great. It, it really, you know how they say your specialty sometimes chooses you, which is kind of exactly what happened to me, but all worked out exactly the way it should have.
0: And at, at any points were they saying, you know, you've already done six months of anesthetics. If you want to, you can choose something else. Or was it you were set to that 12 months?
1: They didn't give us the option of Of changing so at Tambo and as far as I know it still is the case they expect you to be in whichever specialty you go into for the entire year Um, look I didn't exactly go and bang on doors and say I want to change Uh, after the first six months I was really happy where I was Um, but yeah at at Tambo it's one year and this is where you are and this is where you'll stay.
0: And talk us through the transition from being an intern at a very large tertiary hospital like Chris Honey Baragwanath, then going to community service to not quite, I wouldn't say it's like a, a lower level of care. It's still a very mm. academic hospital. There's still, like you said, registrars rotating through, medical students come through but it's definitely a a, a district-level hospital, or I think it might be regional-level hospital. What was it like going from that really big hospital to now running in just one lane, uh, running in one silo, one speciality, and then at a lower level of care?
1: So it was challenging, I must say. Um, Anyone who's been at Barrow will know that it is filled with a lot of very hardworking, driven people who are there to get the job done. Um, we've got some of the top specialists in the country, in the world at Barra. And so working under people like that and then having to transition to an environment where there are mainly career medical officers in the departments who are not necessarily there to further their careers, you know, they've, they've found their spot and that's where they are. Um, it's not the case with everyone, but in general, that's what I found there. Um It was challenging. It was a completely different mindset. Um, But I I managed to find my people. So there was a group of medical officers at Tambo who were a few years ahead of me who were on the path to trying to getting into a reg post. And they took me under their wing. There were four community service doctors who I'm still in touch with today. And three of us are specialists now. Um, So they took us under their wing. They taught us the right way to do things, to stand our ground, to not take the shortcuts. Um, they were there for the stab hearts at midnight when we just thought, I want do this on my own. So you've got to, I think you've got to find your people wherever you go and, and really l- latch onto them, learn from them, because th- there's always going to be a lot of people who aren't your people. And it's very easy to get frustrated in those environments because you're not all of the same mindset. So that that was the challenge, but that that's how I overcame it was to just look for those people who I felt had similar values, similar vision to me. And yeah, those people are still some of my mentors today. They went on to get their edge posts a few years ahead of me and are also now specialists a few years ahead of me. So yeah.
0: Wow, great. And it's, it just comes down to the people factor, right? So, you know, As scientific as medicine is, we're still human beings. It's, there's still the soft side of medicine.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you can't get through it without your people.
0: Dr. Ferreira, so doing anesthetics then, um, at some point you realize this is definitely for me. So let's talk about what it was that drew you to anesthetics. You have mentioned some of the aspects that were very similar to emergency medicine, like some of the skills and some of the settings that you work in. What is it about anesthetics that gra- grabbed you and gripped you? This is now your opportunity to kind of punt your, your specialities that so all the aspiring medical students are like, okay, this is what I want to do.
1: Yeah, so... Um... Like I said, uh, the the critical care aspect really drew me in. And there's there's jokes about just sitting in the corner doing Sudoku and <laughs> taking numerous coffee breaks, which we do. We do take numerous coffee breaks. Um, but the it's actually they can there are moments when there's a big adrenaline rush, you know, there's critical care moments. There are it keeps you on your toes. And um we talk about it like flying a plane where the takeoff and the landing are crucial and in between you cruising. And so um there are those those moments and that's uh, that's what I really enjoyed in that it wasn't continuously go go go. There were moments of calm and peace where you could get yourself together. But um also a lot of the time you need to be on your toes, on top of your game. Uh yeah my my A type personality also um, it fits very well with anesthesia. So we are planners. We we like to make sure that we are prepared for any eventuality. So you will find us in theater before our list starts, making sure everything is working, making sure we have all the drugs we need. Um, and I, I really liked that aspect of how it wasn't out of control like in the ED. I had an opportunity to make sure things were working and be prepared for whatever might come my way. And then just the variety in anesthetics. You can go from doping a 600-gram neonate to the stab heart in the middle of the night to cardiothoracic anesthesia to sedations on a colonoscopy list. There is just there's so much variety. It never gets boring. Um, we are involved a lot in pain medicine. So there's even some anesthetists who are now solely running pain clinics. So there's that whole aspect of it. So it's just such a broad field. Um, that, like I said, you just you never really get bored. We are the perioperative physicians, so it's not just about big syringe, small syringe, patient sleeping. You are responsible for making sure that um, your patient is optimized. So you've got a role preoperatively to make sure that your patient's optimized and you're happy with them coming for the anaesthetic. You've got a role post-operatively in making sure their pain is under control and that they have recovered well from their surgery. And then intraoperatively, like I said, it's not just about making sure they're sleeping. You are essentially making sure that their physiology is stable throughout the surgery. So you'll see in shows like Grey's Anatomy, they like to portray that the surgeon is in control of everything and they're screaming, push the epi. But in reality, The surgeon is very focused on their surgical field, as it should be, and you are responsible for making sure that every other aspect of the patient is doing well, their cardiovascular physiology, their respiratory physiology, their fluid balance. So it's juggling a lot of balls all at the same time. And, yeah, that just really is what attracted me to anesthetics and still is what I love about it.
0: So now having said the highlights of your career and so far in anesthetics, what are some of the, the downsides of anesthesia? What are the low lights? Because every every reg time is hard. Every specialty will have its difficult moments. What are some of the moments where you go like, oh, okay, if it was like this every day, I don't know if this is what I'd want to do.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I think um, in terms of the specialization process and um, getting to be a specialist anesthesiologist, one of the toughest the, uh, hurdles that a lot of people struggle with is the Part One exam, which I'm sure we'll chat about a bit later. But that is, it's an incredibly tough exam, and I think it's it's honestly one of the stumbling blocks that stop a lot of people from becoming specialists. Um, and then the the one thing that I have struggled with in anesthesia that some people probably find it a plus, but is that there's not very much continuity of care. So. You will see a patient usually once off. You might follow them up for a day or two post-op if you are in the state sector and you're kind of at the same hospital every day. In private, you might give them a call afterwards to see how they're feeling. But then that's it. That's kind of the end of the line for you and your patient. And so I have sometimes struggled with wondering how they're doing, you know, um, what's the outcome been if they had a massive surgery or if we did a biopsy, I wonder if it was cancer so that is something that you have to kind of get used to is living with uncertainty about the the long-term outcome of some of your patients. But some people also see that as a plus as, you know, I don't have to see this patient a hundred times and clinics and that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, I think those are the, obviously, obviously reg time is tough, but any reg time is tough. I don't think, I think that anesthetics is probably one of the, the better registrar times in terms of we don't do 36-hour calls. We do 16-hour calls. So it it does require a lot of sacrifice to specialize, and you've got to be willing to to make those sacrifices and to put the work in. But that is going to be the case with any specialization.
0: Wow, it's a really insightful and helpful answer. I'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot of clarity from that. So now talk us about the transition. We'll touch on um, the actual specializing and going into part one and stuff. Talk about the transition from working in a state sector to now kind of being in in private. Have you attached yourself to certain surgeons? Like how has it gone navigating the the world of trying to find work where there's no Mm. guarantees?
1: Yeah, so um, I think as far as anesthetics goes, we probably have an easier transition into private practice because... We don't have to set up an actual physical practice. You are the practice. So um, there's not this huge outlay of cash to set up an actual practice. So that is one of the great things. Um, I, I actually felt like my reg time inadequately prepared me for the world of private practice. There is so much that we do, for example, sedation for colonoscopies, gastroscopies, that kind of thing. I never did one single one of those in my specialization years, and it forms a large part of my work now in private practice. So there was actually a huge learning curve, you know, in spite of thinking that once you've written those exams, you're now on top of your game and you know everything there is to know. I had to learn a lot of new things and kind of tweak things and perfect my art, so to speak i um, in a lot of those areas that I hadn't been exposed to before, but I have really been very fortunate. I um, got invited to join a group practice in private. So I'm with the Delta Anesthesia Practice, which is just an awesome group of other specialist anesthesiologists, many of them far more experienced than me, who I've been able to call on if I need advice or help, you know, clinically and also on the business side of things like how do I bill for this procedure, kind of thing? Um, so that's it's really helped smooth the transition for me. Um, we, I still work for myself essentially, but I just have this group behind me to help support me. And we all cover each other's surgeons after hours. So I don't have to be on call 24 7, 365. I can call on the other anesthesiologists in my group to cover my surgeons if they might have emergencies. So yeah, and then it's also been a lot about the the relationships that I actually built during my registrar time. So a lot of the surgeons that I'm working with now, we were registrars together at um at VITS. And so we, you know, you kind of foster those relationships there. And you need to remember that your reputation is being built from day one. If I was the kind of reg that was lazy and slacking and trying to cancel every second case. I don't think those surgeons would want to work with me now. So it it really, I think it was a big benefit that I always tried to be my best as a reg. Um, and yeah, so those relationships have now carried through into my private practice.
0: Awesome. Now, if I can take you back a little bit, because you're talking about the value of relationships and the importance of building those bonds around shared experience as registrars, if I could take you back to your med school days, do you still have mm-hmm. any friends from your med school time? I believe you were straight from, straight from school into varsity, so we were what we would call a mainstreamer in medicine. You weren't a Gempa or anything of Um, Do you still have friends from med school time?
1: Absolutely, yes. I have a group of very close friends friends. There's five of us. We are spread all across the world, but we have a WhatsApp group that we communicate on almost daily. And um, yeah, they're they like family to me. And those yeah, those relationships are built in med school, I think will definitely be lifelong friendships.
0: Awesome. Now that leads me to my question of whether or not you still think it's worth studying medicine as a career path. If anyone's an aspiring medical doctor or anesthesiologist listening to this podcast, You know, is it kind of like get out while you can or is it get in while you can?
1: Um, Oh, you know what, Simon, we I think we all have our moments where we think, goodness, I should have chosen a nine to five. Why did I choose this path? But truthfully, the answer is absolutely it is. It's a decision I would make over and over again. It is so worth it. It's such a privilege to be in this job. It's mentally stimulating. It's interesting. Like I said, it's a privilege being able to care for patients. Um, And if it's something that you think you want to do, absolutely 100% go for it. Like I said, it's going to be hard. And you will definitely have days where you think, wow, I'm not actually sure that this was worth it. But at the end of the day, and especially now where I'm at um, in my career, I can say I'm so happy with the decision I made to do this.
0: I'd like to take a brief break from our Coffee with Consultants feature to acknowledge and tell you about one of our sponsors on this week's episode. And that is none other than 7th Star Tuition. As you may recall, in episode 33 of this podcast, we highlighted the GEMP medical program at WITS and how to prepare for the WAPT exam, giving those who are not medical students the opportunity to enter medical school as a four-year postgraduate degree. Being a GEMP graduate myself, I know both the struggle to prepare and get in and the tremendous amount of work and support needed to balance studies with the rest of your life. So I'm delighted that 7th Star has partnered with us to promote their educational courses and services to students. Seventh Star is a company that has been at the forefront of student success for the last decade. If you are passionate about the sciences and nurturing ambitions for a rewarding medical career, you need to check them out. Seventh Star has made a name for itself by providing an array of courses meticulously designed to meet the needs of aspiring students across South Africa. And for the past 10 years, the folks at 7th Star have been providing a pretty unique set of services to facilitate the achievement of your loftiest possible academic achievement goals. They've earned an enviable reputation through their three-tiered approach to supporting students. The first tier is their Extra Lessons program, which helps grade 10 to 12 learners to improve and ultimately excel in maths, physical sciences and life sciences. Of course, a solid foundation in these subjects is vital for anyone with eyes set on a career in medicine. Moving to the second tier, Seven Stars assessment prep offering focuses on preparing students for critical examinations, such as the National Benchmark Tests or NBTs, mid-year, prelim and final exams. As many of you would know. Acing these examinations opens up a world of possibilities for future study, and this is precisely where 7th Star comes into the picture. The third, and arguably the most transformational facet of 7th Star's approach is their uni help offering. This is where they help students take the big leap into various university programs, and what stands out about 7th Star's approach is how each of these services are interconnected, forming a cohesive journey for the student. At Seventh Star, the focus is not just in passing exams or acing courses. The real mission is to guide each student on a journey. A journey towards fulfilling their potential and making their dreams a reality. They provide a helping hand to those with aspirations for a career in medicine, ensuring they have the knowledge, the skills and the confidence they need to succeed. Seventh Star encourages students to join as early in their academic career as possible while simultaneously advocating that it is never too late to start and always too early to quit. In fact, they've helped more than 350 students to get into medicine over the last 10 years, a feat attributable to their dedicated tutoring and well-curated preparation methods. Since we're talking about helping people to get into medicine, their BSc program deserves a special mention. For the past 8 years, this program has been supporting BSc Biological Science students at the University of Pretoria. The goal is to ensure that after just 6 months, the students' grades are high enough to transition into medicine at UP with the mid-year intake. Through this carefully crafted route, Seventh Star has successfully assisted over 100 students in securing a place in medicine, which on average equates to 1 in 3 students selected at the University of Pretoria. Continuing to put special focus on their courses that apply most specifically to medical and pre-med students, they recently opened up registrations for their highly successful GEMP course. This program has been painstakingly designed to prepare students for the WITS additional placement test, better known as the WAPT, the gateway to studying medicine at WITS University. This test, as many of you may know, is the final hurdle that prospective medicine students need to clear and with Seven Stars GEMP program, students can approach this test with renewed confidence. This comprehensive and intensive 10-week course kicks off this week on the 3rd of July, 2023. The course offers contact lessons at their Centurion campus, as well as online, live stream lessons for students scattered all around the country. The beauty of the online classes is that every session is recorded. This means that students can revisit the lessons, brush up their understanding, clarify doubts, and get a thorough grasp of the material anytime they wish. Furthermore, Seventh Star understand that many students will only receive their formal WATS invitation at the end of July. To address this, a highly condensed workshop will be hosted to help students catch up on any content they may have missed. Now let's talk numbers. Over the past years, the vast majority of students who attended this course have passed the WAPT, a testament to 7STAR's commitment to the success of its students. This statistic is a shining endorsement of the quality of education and the level of support provided by 7STAR. Beyond the top-notch instruction and the well-structured courses, one of the key features that sets 7STAR apart is their dedication to comprehensive learning resources. They don't just teach, they provide a wealth of resources to aid learning. They provide brilliantly prepared notes and summaries on their website, allowing students to dive deeper into the subjects and strengthen their understanding. An additional layer of support comes in the form of a responsive telegram group. This is a space for questions and discussions where doubts can be clarified and concepts can be discussed. This collaborative learning environment allows students to learn from each other as well as from their tutors, ensuring they're fully supported throughout their learning journey. But don't just take my word for it on this sponsored segment. Here's a peek into the impact of Seven Stars GEMP course from some of their past students. Yoni Segal, a past attendee and current medical student, heaped praise on the course for its concise material and riveting lectures, dubbing it the best money he's ever spent. Daniela De Toledo, extended her heartfelt thanks to the 7STAR team for her successful admission into medicine and expressed high praise for the presenter and the course notes. And Berno more drew attention to the kindness of the tutors and the quality of the study material, attributing his successful passage through the WAPT to 7STAR tuition. If you need more information or to sign up, visit their website at 7star.co.za. Seats fill up fast and spots are limited, and missing this opportunity is something you may regret. For further details, you can also reach out to Johan Mitton on 076 208 5713. In the competitive and congested world of extra lessons and tutoring, one doesn't often come across a service that transcends the conventional realm of education to shape the future of students and help them realize their dreams. If you or someone you know harbors aspirations for a career in medicine, 7th Star could very well be the guiding light that guides their way to success. Once again, thank you to 7th Star for their support of this podcast and for the commendable work they're doing in shaping the leaders of tomorrow. We're back now with Dr. Ferreira, and uh, we're going to be asking her about what's the exams for anesthesiology or anesthetics. Which is it? It's both. It's both. So
1: technically, if you're an anesthesiologist, it means you're a specialist with a fellowship. If you're an anesthetist, you're someone that administers anesthesia. So you may be a GP anesthetist or an anesthesiologist. Oh,
0: wow. And I actually genuinely didn't know that that was the distinction. So I'm so glad that no one has bombed me over their head for calling them an anesthetist when they've completed their their FCA.
1: It's okay. We generally anesthetists do not have big egos. So um, we don't mind what we're called. <laughs> okay, but
0: let's talk about the the exams, the FCA exam. So there's part one. And my understanding is that there's quite a lot of like basic physiology. Well, not basic. I mean, it's very complicated. But there's physiology and anatomy components. So talk us through what goes into your part one exam.
1: Okay, so it's there's three components. It's physics, physiology, and pharmacology. There are two exams for each of those. So there will be a an MCQ or yeah that kind of format, and then a longer answer um, question paper. So you end up writing six exams um, under those three headings. Yeah, like I said, it's a it's an incredibly tough exam. I think that it's probably one of the toughest part ones out of all the specialties. Um, and it, it, the the more difficult thing about it is that it's not necessarily all practical. So it's not stuff that you're going to learn by being in theater doing anesthetics. You might, you get to put into practice the pharmacology principles or the physiology principles, but really it requires you to just sit down and put in the long, hard hours and study from a textbook. And I think that is what makes it so challenging is because obviously you're trying to do that while you're working, probably as a medical officer. And so it's a lot of long hours of studying. Most people will say that it takes at least a year of preparation. I probably managed, I would say, seven months of actually really sitting down and studying. Um, But yes, it's an incredibly tough exam. That being said, I would hate to deter anyone from giving it a go because it is not impossible. There, obviously, there are thousands of people who've done it, and I also. You know, some really, really great anaesthetists who took two or three attempts at their part ones. So if you're giving it a go and you don't make it the first time, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be a great anaesthetist. Just try again. It's a tough exam. There are many people who've gone before. You've had to do it more than once. It's okay. Just don't give up. Give it another go. Not impossible.
0: That's a really helpful answer. And just to clarify, is the pass mark as high as what they say? They say like in order to pass, you have to get above 90% or something to pass these exams. Mm-hmm.
1: I definitely didn't get 90%. Um, I think it's 60% uh is the is the pass mark. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there are many people who would get 90%. There wouldn't be many anesthesiologists around if that was the case.
0: Okay. And so so once you've completed part one, and it sounds like that's something you can do while you're a medical officer. So or is that what you have to do before you can even get a Reg post?
1: So it varies. It kind of waxes and wanes. Um, I would say the diploma is something that you would definitely need before you get a reg post. Um, And for the diploma, you need six months of anesthetic experience at an accredited facility and then you can write your diploma. So that is something you would need to do during your medical officer time. Uh, As far as the part one goes, like I said, it waxes and wanes. So sometimes there are seasons where there are ample reg posts available and not many applicants with part ones. And then you might get a post without your part ones. And then there's other times where there's very few posts and it's far more competitive and then you do need your part ones. If you want to guarantee yourself a reg post, you would need to have your part ones. Um, so then it is something that you need to write during your MO time and actually not a bad idea to write it before your registrar time starts because once you start your reg time, you hit the ground running with specialist rotations and you're going to have a lot less um, time to actually put in the work for those part ones.
0: Sure. So having done part one, you're now an anesthetics reg. Uh, What is your day-to-day like? If you can cast your mind back to that reg time, what was it like day-to-day And what was your week like in the state sector as a a registrar in anesthetics?
1: So in the state sector, it's it's quite different to private. Um, You would have seen your pre-meds the day before. So the theater lists get booked the day before. You would go in the afternoon and see all your patients and order whichever bloods you might need, maybe ask for a chest x-ray or an ECG, decide if you're going to need an ICU bed booked for that patient, that kind of thing. So that preparation all happens the day before. You'll then get to work. And like I said, we're all about preparation. So the first thing you do is go to theater, check your machine, check your drugs, make sure you've got everything you might need. And then the rest of your day really depends on what list you're doing. Sometimes you might be in a six hour whipple and sometimes you might be in a high turnover tonsils list where you're going to be doing eight two year olds for adenoids and tonsils. So your days vary so much depending on which list you're on, which is one of my favorite things about anesthetics is that no day is the same. Um, And then when your day is done, you will go and see your pre-meds for the next day. So that's a, a day in the state sector. In private, patients usually arrive on the day of surgery unless they are ill and already admitted to hospital. So that means usually a very early start for us your list is starting at half past seven, sometimes you might need to be at the hospital at 6am to start seeing all your patients and make sure they're optimised. Obviously, things happen a lot quicker there. So if you do need bloods or an x-ray, it can happen within the hour. It's not like at Barrow where it might take days. Um, (laughs) And then again, it's the the preparation in theatre and then your day goes depending on what your list is. And one of my favourite things about private is Going to see the patients in the ward afterwards, which I must be honest, I didn't do much as a registrar. And I wish I had. I wish my consultants had said to me, do this. But you're just so exhausted and you're so keen to get home and you've still got to see tomorrow's pre-med. So you don't want to double up the amount of patients you have to see by going to see today's patients. But it's really so rewarding to go and follow up at the end of the day and see that they are pain-free and comfortable and stable and happy. Yeah.
0: So having worked, and especially drawing the contrasts between state and private, uh, if I can draw you for some kind of perspective or opinion on the NHI bill and how that might influence billing and, and how people access care. I think with anesthetics, it's, it's a little bit different than other types of medicine because it is so specialized and you know exactly what the money is going towards. Um, but yes. how would NHI affect the career of anesthetics or anesthesiologists, excuse me, in South Africa? Mm.
1: Well, I, I wish I knew for sure. It would make me feel a lot more at ease because I, I do want to stay in South Africa. I don't have any plans to leave. And so it's it's definitely a source of anxiety for a lot of us. And while I absolutely 100% recognize that our healthcare system is in a mess and something needs to change and our population is not getting the healthcare that they deserve. Um, so I definitely see the need for a new system. Um, I think we all know why are we are feeling anxious about the way it's going to go and how the funds are going to be managed and that kind of thing. I said to a colleague the other day, more than worrying about my job, I'm quite worried about the kind of access to healthcare that my family will have. Um, but I assume that it would be like we, we would need to be employed by the state once again, um, maybe similar to the consultants that are still employed by the state and be allocated where we're told to be allocated. Um, like I said, I wish I knew. I'm trying to remain calm about it. I think it's still many, many years away. Um, and hopefully we all have a chance to just have input into the way we think we can best serve our patients and the system the the aim of the system is that you know
0: awesome i realize that that might have been a bit of a hospital pass so apologies for throwing (laughs) you on the spot um we we'd love to have you on a future episode of the podcast to talk about motherhood and medicine but just for the benefits of Mm. our audience listening to the podcast on this episode tell us a little bit about your journey uh, specializing and practicing medicine, and then also trying to have a life outside of medicine, what that looked like for you.
1: So, yes, I am a mom. I have uh, two beautiful kids, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. So I have a lot of life outside of medicine. Um, it's it's challenging, but it's also been the greatest blessing to me to, to have perspective that this isn't everything. Because, of course, medicine is a career that is all-consuming. It's, it's who we are. It's not a job. It's who we are. Um, and so it's very easy to get tunnel vision and to to think that this is all that really matters in life. And so I think having children allowed me to see that there's so much more to me than being a doctor, being an anesthesiologist, um, so as as hard as it is, it's really been a blessing. Um studying uh, when I st- when I was studying for my part twos my final exams, I was pregnant with my daughter Harper, and my son Roman was two years old. And so that was, sure. my husband and I look back and just think, how did we survive? And I don't really know. There was definitely supernatural influence in in getting us through that season of our lives. But again, I think it was a blessing. I had to take my study breaks because I had to go and put my son to bed. And um, yeah, it, it kind of forced me to have that balance where I've seen with a lot of my colleagues who aren't forced to have that balance. Burnout it happens very quickly. And so it's all about prioritizing, just like anything else in life. Um, there were times when my studies had to take priority and I had to say, to my husband and my son. I'm going to go and lock myself in this room for a few hours and I'll see you when I come out. And then there were times when my family needed me more and I prioritized them. And at the end of the day, it all turned out okay. I passed the exam. Um, And yeah, I think just you need to know which balls you can put down at which time while you're juggling. Sometimes you have to keep some balls in there and you can put others down. And it's just about getting to know when that time is.
0: Yes. And and that's a great answer. And did you ever consciously sit down and say, right, this is the right season to have have a family and to to have kids? Because you had obviously been married beforehand, before you started rage time. Um did you at all delay having children until such a time or were you just waiting for that moment like, okay, now's now we go for it.
1: Yeah. So I I got married in my second year of internship um and we did wait i because you know how medical officer posts are normally in six month stints. so when you're in community service or a medical officer there's a lot of uncertainty and i just didn't really want to have kids without a little bit of job security so we did wait till i was in a registrar post knowing that at least i would have a job for four years much to my department's horror i'm sure um <laughs> But yeah, I think there's never a perfect time. Everyone is in a different position financially. Age-wise, you've got to consider, you know, there there's doctors that have thought they'll wait till they're done specializing and then struggle to fall pregnant because age definitely is a factor. So I don't think that there's a perfect time. I think it's a very personal individual thing. The way I'm so happy the way it worked out for me that um I'm done having kids (laughs) and my specializing is done and I can really focus on building my private practice now without having to take another four months off. Um, So reg time, and like I say, HR will probably hate me for saying this. So I hope there's no one in the department of health listening, but reg time is really a great time to have kids because you've got that four years, you know, you're going to be employed and you're going to get paid maternity leave And um, then when you're done with your reg time, you've got your family and you can move on with your life.
0: A word to the wise listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Pereira, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast so far. We're coming into land. So I'm going to ask you some final closing questions and then give you an opportunity to share whatever you'd like to our audience of medical students and junior doctors. But Are there any key books or resources that if you look back, you're like, oh, if I had only known this earlier or if I'd read this book earlier, it would have given me so much perspective, wisdom, encouragement. Is there anything you can recommend that we read?
1: Um, So the Anesthesia Bible, so to speak, would probably be Morgan and McHale. So that's the textbook that the whole um, DA, Diploma of Anesthetics, is based on. And really the only book that you need to pass the DA, and you don't even need the whole thing. You can leave out the neurosurgery and cardiothoracic surgery chapters. Um, that book, yeah, I would say if you want to buy one anesthetic textbook, go and buy Morgan and Mikhail. Um, And then I wish I had got into podcasts sooner. So when I was studying for part twos, I would listen to podcasts on my way to and from work. And I really wish that I had got into them earlier in my reg time because it's an opportunity to just hear what the rest of the world is doing and listen to topics that you might not necessarily have covered. And so there are many anaesthetic podcasts. ACRAC was my favorite, A-C-C-R-A-C-C. So if you're looking for a good something to listen to while you're driving, that's my recommendation.
0: Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes for this episode so that the, the listeners can find it easily. Um, your recommended podcast to listen to for anesthetics. One final thought from you, any encouragement, any motivation, any inspiration for junior doctors and medical students?
1: I think just to say that it's all worth it. Um, There are going to be so many days in your path to becoming a doctor and then to becoming a specialist, if that's what you choose, where you wonder if it's worth it. And I can say, speaking from the other side of it now, that it absolutely is worth it. Doing what you love every day, knowing that you put in the hard work to get here um, and just being able to build the career you want. You know, medicine doesn't have to dictate your career. It does for me very many years. But once you get here, it's, it's building the life you want and building the career you want. Um, and so keep pushing. It's worth it. It's worth getting through the hard days. Like I said, get your people around you. And um, yeah, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Tracy Ferreira for appearing on this episode of the Dr. Coffee podcast. We appreciate you sharing from your personal experiences, your perspectives, the ups and downs of anesthetics to become a certified anesthesiologist. We learned a new word today. Uh, Thank you for your time and uh, for investing into the future of medicine in South Africa.
1: It's a pleasure Simon. Thanks so much for having me.
0: That's it for this week's episode. I'd like to take a moment to direct you briefly to our Linktree URL, which you can find in the show notes for this episode, as well as in the bio of our Instagram page at drcoffeezae. There you'll find links to our sponsors on this episode, IndemniMed by Money & Medicine, and 7th Star Tuition, as well as a Google form you can complete if you're interested in working with the Dr. Coffee podcast. Thank you for your support, and we'll see you in episode 41.